We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm really excited to introduce an old friend and very dear friend, Vivian Glick, who is the founder of the Just Like My Child Foundation. She's doing incredible work in Uganda and around the world with empowering young girls and also young men these days. And I look forward to sharing her story and what she's doing today on our show. Welcome, Vivian. Hey, Heidi. How are you doing? Pretty good so far, considering the quarantine. We're hanging (laughs) in there. So for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of background on sort of who you are and where Just Like My Child came from? Yeah, what the genesis of it was. Sure. So I am a native New Yorker. My parents are both Holocaust survivors. And I grew up in Manhattan and had the opportunity, even though we were very poor, to go to some of the best schools in the city. And I think that there was just this seed that had been germinating in me for quite a long time. And in 2002, my son, Zach, was born. And I was pretty amazed at this human being and realized that it was pretty much my obligation to keep him alive. And subsequent to that, I had a couple of back-to-back miscarriages. And it was through that time of really understanding the preciousness and value of one human life that I became more and more aware how many children around the world did not have the benefit that my child was having. So where they were born was making the difference between whether they lived and died or whether they lived in poverty or had access to education and really living out their potential. And one thing led to the other. And I really woke up one day and I thought to myself, you know, if I can't have one more child, I mean, I knew I could have figured out how to have another biological child. And I thought, I'd like 10,000 kids, you know, how do I touch that many children? And again, I just started learning more and more. My learning curve was astronomical at the time in terms of what the issues were that were facing children around the world. And I particularly found out that in Africa at the time, every 30 seconds, a child was dying of malaria, basically a mosquito bite. And that there were over 12 million children who had been orphaned by AIDS and 20 million people. I think about it in terms of this pandemic, right? 20 million people had already died from the AIDS epidemic. And I thought to myself, I've got to see what this looks like. You know, I have to bear witness. And one thing led to the other, and I was invited to <laughs> to go to visit this very small clinic in a very rural area in central Uganda. And the very first night, and it was run by sisters, by nuns, and the very first night that I was there, I watched a teenage girl die in childbirth as her mother looked on. And the baby, the baby Christina is what the nuns ended up calling her, the teenage girl's daughter survived. Mm. And so 
now remember again this was my very first night in uganda and i thought to myself well this is pretty easy because here i was i had had these miscarriages and now there was a baby and i thought well this is easy to keep this baby alive we'll just you know provide enough formula adoption was out of the question because of uganda's laws and what i realized after starting to work in Uganda, we started to really work with that hospital, build their infrastructure. We ended up building 27 school structures. We entered into a microenterprise program with Heifer International, on and on and on. But what I realized and saw over and over was that that sort of cycle of poverty through three generations, you know, grandmother, a daughter, and then the granddaughter was really the microcosm of the macrocosm Mm -hmm. of what is really at the heart of poverty, gender-based violence, and the overpopulation, undereducation, and that this was really, if we didn't start doing something where we interceded in the life of an adolescent girl before she became or came into a situation like baby Christina's mother, there's nothing else that we could be doing. We could build all the hospitals in the world. Mm-hmm. But when you're having 14-year-olds giving birth and dying in childbirth, what good does a building do, right? Mm-hmm. You know? and, and so we ended up creating a program we call Girl Power Project, which is a replicable curriculum of girls' empowerment designed to remove the obstacles for a girl to stay in school. And a lot of that has to do with giving her the power of knowledge mm-hmm. <laughs> and sharing that, you know, sharing that knowledge powerfully. And we've been able to reach over 20,000 kids, girls and boys with this replicable curriculum. We've saved tens of thousands of lives through some of our other efforts in Uganda. And because we've been able to collect reams and reams of data, Texas A&M University has come out to the field. Oxford University is now behind this. USC has given their thumbs up to our data collection. We've been able to prove that this curriculum works. And my dream has always been to take it global. Mm -hmm. Like Girls all over the world, kids all over the world need this information. And there are 100 million girls who are out of school today, and probably even more so because of the pandemic, definitely more so. And when they're out of school, they are vulnerable. So this is really our dream is to put the power in the girl so that she can demand and make choices for herself. It's such a beautiful mission and a powerful one, as you said. And it's really about you know, empowering them with the knowledge to be able to make the decisions on their own and to, you know, to really harness that and create a community that supports that by empowering all of them with the knowledge. And I think you've done an amazing job with your curriculum. And I believe recently you were able to even bring it to some of the Native American nations in the U.S. Is that correct? Yeah. So our dream has always been to bring this work to the U.S. And we've had the incredible opportunity to start working with a group of women in South Dakota, the Lakota Sioux. And one of the things that I became educated about and was hugely ignorant about was the issues with the murdered and missing indigenous women in the United States. And the fact that many, many Native American, that Native American girls and women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than 
a normal citizen, an everyday citizen. And the statistics go on and on around violence and poverty, et cetera. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking because there's so much that the heritage of the tribes have in this country that have just been really pushed aside, but it's still there. And if there's a way that we can contribute to reversing and raising voices for women and girls on the, on the reservations and beyond, this is really part of what our dream is. And so we started to bring this work to very small community in South Dakota in the Black Hills. That's so and great. And also are going to do this with a partner in India as well. Very cool. Actually, my next question was, where are you going to grow to? But also sort of integrated in that question is, have you found that there's any cultures or countries that have been resistant to the curriculum, maybe from a cultural basis, or maybe just because it's coming from an outside source? And I mean, because often we're driven by the desire to, to help but sometimes it's not so welcome if it's coming from an outside source. Is there anything that you've found that has been interesting in your journey with that? Sure. So the curriculum was really created hand in hand with teachers and social workers in Uganda. So the benefit that we've had there is that we've been on the ground for 13 years, 14 years now. And there's a deep level of trust. And I think because this curriculum was created with those kinds of sensitivities, there's more acceptance in some of these other locations that we're going to. But yes, without a doubt, in answer to your question, we have had to modify our curriculum in Uganda to appease some of the religious leaders, some of the government oversight. We're always been gingerly walking on cultural sensitivities. And what our work with the Native American women is, is to really adopt the curriculum to be coming from them so that they're really rewriting it in a way that is appropriate for that community with the traditions, with the song, with the dance that you know, any, I mean, if you think about your own kids, they're going to be more accepting of what's familiar to them. And so, you know, and the same in India as well, we're having the curriculum translated into Hindi. And, you know, just even there with the right translator, there'll be more sensitivity to those issues that are not spoken of in that culture. Uh, absolutely. There's always a, a large adaptation between direct translation and translation that actually works within a culture. And and often, oh, yeah. and it's not just a question of language. There's so much more to it. And how, how yeah. do you communicate the same message to a different right. audience? And language isn't the only hindrance in that process. So I, th I think it's it's quite fascinating. And circling back a little bit to some of the challenges, because I know I hear a lot from people of like, you know, I want to participate, I want to, I want to get involved. And th there's so many different programs that you can, you can participate in, or, and in some cases, it's just, you know, they're looking for support and financial support. Some of them, you can go and volunteer and participate. And there's others where it's basically you show up and they hand you a shovel <laughs> you know, to, to build latrines or, or whatever it is. But I think there's always that that sort of challenge of wanting to be able to help and to make a difference, 
but to being respectful of cultural boundaries and being respectful of not coming in and saying, well, I know how to do it. You're clearly suffering, but I can do it better than you and I can help you. It, it's all in how the way it's perceived. So for your organization, you, it doesn't sound like you've had that issue, but I'm curious for those who are interested in maybe helping in some way with your organization, is there opportunities for them to engage with Just Like My Child Foundation or with Girl Power, whether it's bringing the curriculum to their location or whether it's participating in some of the teaching, becoming one of the instructors? What are the different ways that they can people can engage with your organization? Well, that's a really interesting question, Heidi, because I was just thinking about that all day today. <laughs> the real dream right now is to create a platform, a virtual platform, where all of this content can come to life. So we are envisioning something like Global Girl Power TV, which is may not be TV, but it'd be like a web-based app and a mobile app and eventually streaming content. Something like Sesame Street for Girls meets Peloton, where, and not the workout part of Peloton, but the great instructors, great community, ability to be visible, to earn, you know, points as you go through programming. So absolutely, that is a huge motivation of ours right now, because the truth is, we're all staying at home, right? Mm -hmm. The whole planet. So how do we reach girls? And even beyond this situation, how can we make sure that this content is available to any girl anywhere in the world when she needs it with the push of a button? And how can we also take people who are really interested in bringing more of this content in a denser way to girls directly. So the dream is that the content is there, the classes are there, they're fun, they're, we call it edutainment, they're engaging. But what if you as Heidi, you go, I want to teach this in my kids' school. How do I get certified to do this so that you may have the lesson there or, you know, the show, but how do you bring it into the classroom and then really bring it life so that it goes deeper. You remember when your kids were watching Sesame Street, right? There'd be like, uh, whatever his name is, the count, you know, oh. give his little lesson, you know, one through 10. But then, you know, maybe your teacher would have a deeper lesson about mathematics or arithmetic, but would get you going with mm -hmm. this content. So this is really, really the dream of creating this global platform. So it's a ways off but I completely envision it. There will be, at the very least, on this Girl Power TV portal, the opportunity to be licensed and certified in teaching the curriculum. That's, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity. I'm thinking you don't necessarily need to be in rural Uganda for it to be effective. I mean, exactly. I, I've met plenty of, I, I'm thinking actually back to some interesting time in, in my early years, in my early 20s, I spent a year working on a cruise ship. See, it sounds like a strange parallel, but what I found, uh, I was directing the children's program, and I was amazed by these kids that were on a luxury cruise that were so poor in their, not, in, not financially poor, but in terms of they were just desperate for, you know, for that contact, for connection, for somebody that cared. 
You know, their parents basically would drop them off and then head off to the casino and come back eight hours later. And they would hand them back then, it was a couple rolls of quarters and drop them off in the video arcade. They didn't even bring them to the kids center. They would just be like, here, hang out in the video arcade. And they were just really deprived of that human connection and the ability to Mm -hmm. understand that they were empowered to make their own decisions and that they, Mm -hmm. you know, could take care of themselves. And, you know, so it really goes across so many different levels of our cultures, so many different levels. I mean, a girl is a girl is a girl, no matter where she is in the world. You know, I absolutely that there's, you know, some people are born with advantage, but sometimes that advantage from the outside can be perceived as advantage, but there may be all kinds of stuff going on in the background that nobody knows about, and it's all just hidden. So I think it's a really powerful tool that you're talking about where you make it accessible to everybody. What are some of the challenges that you might have seen? I mean, because right now you're doing the physical programs. If you're thinking about moving this to technology, we still are, you know, we're seeing this already with COVID in that a lot of people don't have access to their own devices to be able to connect to, to be able to have access to education and curriculum. They're having to share a laptop between an entire family. And so somebody's trying to get their work done. Somebody's, you know, two or three are trying to get their school work done. And then the rest are getting, you know, sent off to the fields to do their work and just say, okay, you can't do your education right now. Too bad. What are some of the things that you see are absolutely critical to have hands on that maybe we can be looking at? in terms of hybrid models, potentially, maybe, where you can get a little bit of that touch, but also technology? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. One of the things that we're doing in Uganda right now, because again, the situation that our girls are in are exactly where we don't want them to be, which is out of school, highly vulnerable at home, and so what our country director is doing is she's actually going to have a radio show, like a girl power hour radio show. And then they're going to be inviting girls to the clubs. So there are clubs that they that they can have, they have to be distanced, you know, it's this whole same thing like in the US. And so it's a way to most people have access to radio, right? So my dream would be even in India or even on the Native American communities, you know, that, yes, you can get this programming, you have the opportunity to form a girl power club, but also at some point you can access the content. You can go home and watch, you know, get your mom's phone or you can, you know, you can see it streamed somewhere. And I think that the technology gap I mean, really, when I was in, the first time I was in Africa was in 2005, and we were way out in the middle of nowhere in Senegal, and there was a tribal chief who had like five wives and, you know, 40 kids, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and you're talking to him and having this very meaningful conversation, and the phone rings, (laughs) he pulls out his flip phone, and he's having a whole conversation there. Well, fast forward where we are in Uganda, even in some of the poorest areas, many people have smartphones, many, many people have smartphones, it is a whole different world than Mm -hmm. it was. So the technology gap is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And I think that that is 
you know, that's, that's a benefit to what we're thinking of, but you know, there's good old radio and then there's television where content can be, you know, broadcast or streamed. And then, you know, there's the web. So it's, you know, you can't get to every nook and cranny, but I believe that with this platform, we can reach 15 million girls over couple of years. I love it. I and, love it. And, and then I, also create the connection between kids here and kids all over the world. That's mm-hmm. really the dream. Yeah, I love that. And I do think that it's important for people to understand how to connect to programs that are doing things like that, whether it's they're in a community that they feel like, hey, this would be a good place to bring the, you know, the Girl Power Program, or whether they're working with an international organization that maybe can you know, can advocate for bringing it in. They may not necessarily mm-hmm. be in the community itself. What are some of the things that uh, that you look for in partners for uh, yeah. for doing something like that? Our ideal partner looks like, just like my child, looks like on the ground in Uganda. A group that's been there for a long time has sources of funding to deploy programming to begin with. And then has a lot of credibility because the number one reason that we've been so successful on the ground is because we're trusted. You know, a lot of organizations way bigger than ours come in, they are as helpful as they can be, but then, you know, their strategic plan has them move on in two or three years and they just up and go and they leave infrastructure that there's no way to maintain, et cetera. So our you know, and like our partners in India are exactly like this. They've been working with women and girls for a long time. They know what the issues are. They're confronting them all the time. They don't have a comprehensive program that is really deliverable. So that is an, you know, that's an ideal scenario for us. I think any teacher in any school that has access to girls and boys I mean, really in any school, it, you know, the content is really pretty, it's pretty kid friendly. <laughs> it is kid friendly. And it's really about knowing your right, believing in yourself, knowing that you have a voice and that you can use it and that your body is your own territory, knowing how your body works, knowing how to say no to people and knowing that you stand within your, within the law when you do that. A lot of kids around the world don't even know that the law is on their side. What is sort of the optimal age for the curriculum that you're working with? The curriculum was really created for 10, 10 to 15 year old girls. And I hesitate because where we are, it's more a, it's more school year appropriate. So mm-hmm. it's really like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade as we would know it. Mm-hmm. But in Uganda, you can have a 15 year old and a 10-year-old in a fifth grade classroom, you know, so it's really about what their level of education is. But it's basically 10 to 15-year-old girls. I mean, if you could imagine what an hour curriculum was created based on this asset building exercise, like what does a 10-year-old girl need to know Mm -hmm. in order to survive and protect herself. What does a 15-year-old girl need to know? There's a little bit of a difference, right? And so everything that we did in building this curriculum was with local partners who really know what a 10-year-old girl should know, you know, where to find a safe space, 
you know, how to call for help, how to have a little bit of money in order to not have to rely on her body to generate that income as young as 10. And so those things, and I think you could, you know, I mean, you have a daughter, you could say that, you know, you would know what that was for her at that time. She Mm. needs to know how to cross the street without getting run over, right? (laughs) She needs to know what your phone number is. You know, she needs to know how to call for help. All of those things I think are pretty, pretty standard, but we don't stop and think about them that much and what the gaps might be well, that are really desperate. Yeah, it's interesting. As you use that one example of how to know when to cry, when it's safe to cross the street. I don't know if I ever told you the story about Hannah Maria, my daughter, who at age five ran across the street to try to catch up with her brother and got hit by a car in Chamonix. Yeah, flying was propelled over to the opposite no. side of the street. Oh, yeah. So I was like, hmm, yeah. We weren't quite ready to teach her on that one. I think she was probably actually four. Fortunately, their bodies are very pliable at that age. And she was wearing, you know, full ski suit. So it was well padded. But needless to say, yes, those are critical skills. I don't mean to diminish what you were talking about at all. But uh, it's just such important skills for all girls to get in. A lot of school systems don't provide it. And Kids don't actually even get it in preschool. It's more like, you know, learn your letters and learn this and learn that. And they sort of skip over that. And and boys as well, understanding how to respect your own body, but also respect girls' bodies. And, and I think that's just incredible skills to have. I want to take a little bit of an angle here before we wrap up. And before I even go into that, I want to make sure that for our listeners, you know that you can get more information about Vivian's work and just like my child foundation, if you go to global nomad hacks slash resources, and there there'll be a link for you to be able to reach the organization and find out more about it if you're curious. So I want to take a little bit of a tact to talk to you about the experience of running an organization that's in Africa from the US and sort of what that takes as an individual, as an entrepreneur running a philanthropic organization, being a mom and you know, and a wife in that whole process. And for a lot of us who have these jobs that require a lot of travel and time away, and sometimes we choose to bring our families with us, sometimes we choose to be more focused and travel alone. But can you talk a little bit about sort of that experience for you in that process? Sure. Well, I think like any woman who's entrepreneurial, the ability to build and create and motivate a great team is, I mean, that's been my backbone is just really having people around me who are passionate about what we're doing, committed to it, and we can all support each other. And it's not surprising that my team has consistently been all women. (laughs) And so we just sort of get what needs to be done. That's a big part of it. I have you know, my husband's been extremely supportive. The hardest part of all of our work has been fundraising. And that is, that's something that really happens at home. And that's about storytelling and relationship building. And Mike has been really super helpful with that. There's no way that I could have done this without having his sort of marketing genius and support around it and belief in what we're doing for sure. A big part of my incentive in starting this was, you know, because as we started out, I talked about growing up in this sort of 
world where two different realities were happening. One, I had access to the best education in the world. And B, I was extremely poor and also very vulnerable. But I think that led me to really want to raise a kid who had exposure to, you know, what entitlement or not entitlement looks like. It was really a big family business. Zach has come with me to Uganda a number of times. He just produced a video on the title is Why Are Kids in Uganda Happier Than Kids in the U.S.? And so it's been a, a big family project in some ways of how I really wanted to show up as as a leader, you know. I, I love that. And I think that's so, that's a really critical point that a lot of us as nomads, whether you're wannabe nomads or partial nomads or whatever it is, you want to instill a sense of being a global citizen in your own kids and to help them understand that perspective. And it's hard to do when you come from a place of means to provide that perspective in a safe way. So I, I think you've done a brilliant job with it. And Zach is a wonderful kid. And so congratulations, kudos to you for that. Not Thank everybody you. is able to accomplish that so well. But I do think that it is challenging. And, you know, when you have a very demanding job and you want to engage your children in your work or in whatever it is that you're doing, particularly if it's very mission-based, it's sensitive because you want to be able to introduce them to the passion for making a difference, but you don't necessarily want to sway them from finding their own path. And I think that allowing him or encouraging him to create the documentary so that he could find his way to experience that is pretty cool. Is that something mm -hmm. that we might be able to put a link to? Is that available on YouTube or anywhere else? Would, would sure you is, let us yeah. do that? Okay, you'll have to uh, send me a link so we'll put it on the podcast. Because I think it would be really fun to see his perspective of it. Because it's always good to see things through our children's eyes and what they right, take because home. They're not, and you know, what, what I discovered with Zach is that, you know, he's not seeing it through, he's seeing it through the lens of his own experiences in a really bizarre culture right now and his own anxieties and watching his friends, you know, overdose on their entitlement and so it's very different. His perspective was very different. And he really took his time with figuring out what, you know, what the message was around. And it was very different than I expected. Yeah. So. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it. And I'm sure our listeners will uh, check it out as well. Because I think it's always fascinating to see what our kids, what their lens is, because it's unique. Every single one of them is unique. I mean, I have two kids, and I'm sure they would produce completely different documentaries from the same experience. And we all have, we all bring different memories home. You know what? It has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Mm -hmm. I like, I want to sit here and talk to you for hours, but I, I think <laughs> my listeners might be, get a little bored and tedious with it after a while. So we'll just have to have you back. But it's been such a joy having you today. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Vivian. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heidi. You're one of my favorite people in the world. Oh, likewise. And uh, I look forward to our next adventure. We're talking yes. about heading back down to Mexico for our next adventure. And uh, this time, I believe it will be some mezcal tasting rather than wine. But I'm sure it'll be loads of fun. Let's hope that quarantine lifts sooner rather than later. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure having you. And I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And if you really enjoyed today's show, we 
always appreciate a rating and a review. And let us know if you did, because we like to send little goodies to our friends when they show us a little appreciation. So thanks for joining us today, and we'll check in us next time. Bye-bye for now.